Hi, this is David Breyer from risingabovethenoise.com, and you're listening to The Angry Millennial. 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 Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to The Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, Jose here. I know you've heard the name before, Digital Transitions. You've heard them on the show. They are the leading reseller of phase one medium format digital systems. They do sales, rentals, support, and training of phase one, ISO, Arca Swiss, Cambo, and Photo gear. They have locations in New York City and now Los Angeles, and of course, everywhere at digitaltransitions.com. Yet today, the reason why we have them on the show is awesome. Digital Transitions is actually looking for a new head of design, web, and social media for their New York office. It's a great opportunity with an amazing company. We're going to have a link in the show notes, the job description on Digital Transitions site. So you guys can check it out, make sure it's a great fit, and then be sure to stay tuned because at the end of this episode, we're going to go over a ton of amazing discounts that Digital Transitions is giving away just for angry millennial listeners. All right, let's get on with the show. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show. Today, we have photographer and YouTuber, Nathaniel Dodson. Nathaniel, thanks for coming out, man. Yeah, 100%. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. No, of course, of course. So I know we actually have some mutual friends. Uh, I believe it's Jason Hudson was the one that put us in touch, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I know Jason. I know Stevie, who I believe is the co-host. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yep. that was how I originally stumbled across the podcast and- yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, because um, it was uh, we recently like when we go to uh, Philly, if we're able to, we actually record out of Jason's studio as well. Nice. Okay, over there on so, Buttonwood, yeah. right? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So let's get into it. I mean, tell us about how it all started for you. You know, were you always creative? Um, you know, did photography come first? I know we have. Obviously, uh, you know, YouTube, we'll get into that in a second. I mean, you've had that for a long, long time. Uh, so I'd be interested to know if it was kind of the photography thing or maybe video was your, was always your kind of calling. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, are you born creative? I don't know. I feel like everyone's got a little bit of creativity in them. <laughs> your upbringing can either yeah. accentuate it or really screw you, uh, when it comes right. to, to the creativity end of things. Um, I don't know. I mean, when I was, when I was young, I'm one of eight kids. So like we would, our, our family vacations were like jump in the van, we're driving to Seattle or jump in the van, we're driving to Key West, Florida. Um, oh, and wow. I was the one who got the camera. My dad was, uh, uh, had a part-time, well, maybe it was like a second full-time job as a, a real estate property appraiser through the, like the mid to late nineties. So we had like this two oh, wow. megapixel Kodak piece of garbage. <laughs> you know, I, I remember when we got a 256 megabyte, you know, compact flash card. I'm like, Whoa, we're spending like 60 bucks on this thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I still have one of them. It's fucking sad. <laughs> Take like one picture and it's full. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
So I, I was just the kid that got the camera. So I would have been like, I, we took the first trip, I think I was 11 or 12. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, over the next few years, took a few more trips. And I was just the guy, the kid really with the camera. So that happened. And then within a couple of years, I I started dabbling in Photoshop and really playing with it because I was trying to make a logo for a business I was trying to start at the time. And mm-hmm. that kind of launched me into Photoshop when I was like 14 or so. And, right. and I kind of fell in love with Photoshop. And then photography came back around when I was like 18. Uh, I just woke up one morning and was like, you know what? I want to shoot weddings. I want to try shooting weddings. I had a, a mm-hmm. Canon Rebel XT. I think it was. It was like the 350D, I think is mm-hmm. what it's considered. Um, and a 50 millimeter F1.8, you know, the nifty 50, a little cheap. I think it was, yeah. I think it was yeah. 70 bucks when I got it uh, or something yeah. like that, 80 bucks maybe. Um, and I just went and started shooting weddings. There's like Craigslist ads. I'll shoot your wedding for free. I did like 18 or 19 weddings for free. Uh, it was terrifying, but also not too bad because, you know, I'm doing it for free. So, you know, very yeah. low budget fire hall kind of weddings. Uh, but it was right. fun. It was really cool. Um, and I kept doing weddings for a little bit. And then there was some stuff that came up. I, um, my nephew got really sick and I had to donate mm. my liver to him. And he he, oh, wow. pa- he passed away the day before oh, I was to, to like go in and really everything was going to, you know, really kind of come back together allegedly for him. Um, so that combined with like a really bad breakup that I didn't see coming and it all kind of like mm-hmm. clustered together in the six month period. I was like, forget it. I'm washing my hands. I'm moving on from weddings. I'm going to do portraiture. I had never fired an off camera flash in my life. Um and I just, you know, March 22nd of 2011, my first actual off-camera flash portrait shoot, still remember it to this day. Um, and I just, you know, took no classes, just did it, went with it. Um, within like three weeks, I traveled from Philly, I'm based out of Philadelphia, um, down to Virginia Beach for this speaking engagement that I got invited to to come down for Photoshop. Because prior to that, back in like 2006, I'd started my Tutvid website, all the, the YouTube mm-hmm. video tutorials, just teaching Photoshop. I didn't get into photography at all, just Photoshop, because that's kind of what I knew or thought that I knew. Went down to the speaking convention. I was 19. This is early 2011 now. I just started doing the portrait photography. Tutvid is still cranking along, you know, in the background this whole time. Um, and I had done like six photo shoots for musicians and, you know, just whatever people, you show up at a park and say, Hey, let's go Mm -hmm. take some photos and, and all that kind of thing. And I told the people who were running the convention, it was one of these multi-track conventions, you know, in a big ballroom at this, this hotel, several day long thing. I was like, I'll do a Photoshop class and a Lightroom class. And you know what? Just throw in like – I made up some title. I don't remember what it was, like lighting for impact and dramatic portraits or something. Right. You know, something ridiculous. <laughs> right. And for somebody who had no idea what they were doing, I had no business teaching it. But like I had this big quote on my old website that was like, to, to be outstanding, get comfortable with being uncomfortable or something like that. I'm paraphrasing yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah. So I'm like, you know what? Throwing caution to the wind. You know, I don't. I won't charge you for it. Don't pay me for it. Just let throw it on there. I'll do it. You know what I mean? And so I did my Photoshop thing, did my Lightroom thing. And then, and you know, like I'm walking around, it's a two or three day convention. There's like Vogue Italia photographers there. Clay Blackmore was there, a huge wedding photographer. Um, and there were a bunch of other people. I mean, I, I couldn't even name them all. Robin, Vanessa Adams were there. Um, people who are like legit in the business and do yeah. beautiful work. Um, I mean, Clay's stuff is, I don't want to bash him, but you know, 
maybe I'm not the biggest fan of his stuff, but I have to respect the body of work he's done and, and who he is. Right. Um, and he was there and he's dropping knowledge and, you know, he would have kicked my butt from here to next week when it came to lighting and, and posing and everything to do with weddings. And here I'm like, hey guys, I'm going to teach you how to, you know, do lighting. And I've never, you know, I fired a speed light. I've never used a sto- studio strobe. And we had these, I think they were photogenic studio strobes that I was using. Um, <laughs> and so what I did was I just, I'm like, you know what? Light travels in a straight line. I understood the concept of softening light. You, know, you draw the sheet over the bedroom window and everything's a little softer. Like, you know what? I'm going to light it and shoot it just like the way I, you know, the best I can. So I went back to like the model room. I picked the prettiest girl I could find. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm going to pick the, yeah. the best looking girl because that should help. Brought her out. Um, we had a great time. I had, yeah, I don't know. There's like 15 or 20 people that stopped by and we hung out. We got some killer shots. I mean, uh, to this nice. day, I know what I did, but we got some amazing athletic style stuff. Uh, we voted the best class of the entire convention. Not my Photoshop stuff, not my Lightroom stuff. Wow. Some, somebody from my class with one of the images that we shot won the print competition for like the convention, which was super cool. And this agent came up to me at the end of it and he's like, hey, um, I'm an agent. You know, I'm based out of D.C. I've got a big golf client coming up to Philly. Uh, we want to know if you want to come out and help us, you know, shoot the project. Um, it's Tiger Woods for the AT&T National. I guess that year they were coming through Philly. Now it was Tiger was in the midst of like his, you know, taking the nine iron to the back of the SUV or whatever happened there with, with that whole situation. He didn't end up making the cut. So I didn't end up getting to photograph him. But like as a 19 year old kid uh, okay. who I'm six shoots yeah. deep to have this agent come up to me and be like, hey, come work with us on this project. It's kind of like, wow, that'll, that'll give your career a little boost or maybe not your career, your ego, yeah. and like the confidence. And then I'm like, you know what, darn it, right. I can do this. You know, I'm, 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 I'm mm-hmm. maybe I'm not like Vogue Italia level, but I'm obviously well on my way. You know what I mean? Like it was a great mm-hmm. shot in the arm. And, you know, I just went from there and I, I spent the entire year. I think I did one paid shoot that year. I did like 125 or 130 TFP shoots. So I just did a ton of stuff. I was trying to do three free shoots a week. Like that was my thing. And I spent a ton of money, a ton of time. Um, but I had my other business in the background kind of like sustaining me. So I didn't have to worry about making money and that really helped. And it just allowed me to go out and like refine my craft as much as I could learn so much about, you know, here's when it's better to use the beauty dish on location. Here's when it's better to use an Okta. Here's when it's great to just go with a bare, you know, not bulb, but like a, an eight inch reflector, reflector. head. Right. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and specifically on location, you know, when you're going to have light that's, that's rapidly changing, whether it's, you know, the sunrise when you have that little 40 minute, you know, uh, that golden hour, as they call it, or the time at sunset, or even if straight up, you're just shooting in the middle of the afternoon, you know, is it worth mm-hmm. it to bring a scrim out? If I don't have, you know, uh, the, the apparatus and the infrastructure to drop a scrim, where can I find shade on location? So, you know, all of this like environmental location portraiture, I, I just fell in love with it. I absolutely loved it and mm-hmm. I, I still love it. And it's just, it's great. I mean, you, you nail the shot and it's like you're in the middle of this busy intersection and you had your light set and you had, you know, 30 seconds to get and you got to guess. That's F, you know, that's, that's five, six at one, one twenty fifth ISO two you know, 250 and my light, you know, at a third power with the 38 inch Octa, you know, boom, and you nail it. And it's like, yes, got it. You know what I mean? And it's just like, there's nothing <laughs> yeah. like it. You know what I mean? It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It, it, it fires me up. It, I, I love it. And, 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 and I still love it to this day. And it's, there's nothing, there's, you know, there's nothing like, and then when, and then to have, pay, awesome. to, to have clients come and pay you for it. And, and it's a different level when you get a paying client, because when you're doing right. it just for free, it's like, ah, if I screw up, whatever. And it really is different. It's very different. The night before a free yeah. shoot, you're like, ah, whatever. If I'm 20 minutes late, screw it. You know what I mean? I'm doing it for free. I don't care. You yeah. know, but when it's paid stuff, it's like, all right, I got to Not only do I have to show up and all that. I mean, showing up on time is the least of your worries. You're worried about mm-hmm. not 
not only getting the lighting right, but with like location portraiture, you got to get location right. You're, I mean, you check the weather, you're hoping on weather a little bit. Um, and then you get, you want to deliver images that the client's actually going to like through the retouching process. And, and you know, what's to mm-hmm. say, I mean, you know how it is. I mean, I, I, I love, the, I love my girls out there. I love all the ladies out yeah. there, but you guys are a bit more difficult to photograph than most guys because you, you really want to look good. And I understand it, you know, I'm not knocking you for it, but you know, there's that added level, yeah. especially, you know, if it's a bit from a businesswoman to a girl that's, you know, a professional professional model. Um, you know, it, 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 it runs the gamut. You, you got to make them look good. They want to look right. It doesn't matter how skinny they are. You can always make them look a little thinner and they want that. So it's, it's challenging and it's, and it's all the stuff that you're thinking about and you're thinking about, you know, you got money on the line. This is a client that's paying you. They have real expectations and I got to understand those mm-hmm. expectations. And I, and I do, yeah. you know, I don't want to ever lose my roots. You know, I come from a family of small businesses and I, you know, I don't want it to be like, Oh, I only charged you 700 bucks for the shoot. You should understand. I mean, 700 bucks is 700 bucks. There are a lot of people who they don't make yeah. 700 bucks a week. You know what I mean? So if yeah. I can make $700 for a, a, a two and a half, three hour shoot in the afternoon for somebody, uh, you know, you're my client. I love you for this. I, I appreciate you coming and spending this money and this time with me. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you what I got. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, I think it's, real, imp- sure. I think it's important too not to lose focus on, and I'm going to have fun while I do it because that's what allows me to deliver that stuff. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's a creative mm-hmm. cycle. The better you get at it, the more confidence you have and the more confident you are, the more relaxed you can be and the more creative you'll become and the better your images will become. So it's just like that cycle. Once right. you, once you get like past the first hurdle, you can begin cycling and you just get better and better and more confident, more confident, more confident. And now it's like, I honestly, I feel like I could walk into the room with anybody. You, you name it, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, uh, whatever, Tom Brady, um, you know, the biggest business, but Justin Bieber, the biggest music star, whoever, and give me five minutes. I'll give you one of the best portraits you've ever gotten. I, and I genuinely believe that, you know, I feel that way. Is it, yeah. is it blind ambition? Is it stupid naivety? Maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm a young guy. Maybe it's just youthful <laughs> bliss and ignorance, um, but I'm going to use right. it to my advantage while I have it, you know, and so far it's worked out pretty well. Nice. I mean, and you said it, I think one of the biggest takeaways was, you know, knowing that you were transitioning from something that was working, something that you were making money on already with your YouTube channel. We're going to get right into that. But then going, okay, I want to switch gears and do something completely different photography wise that you were, let's just say sound enough to know I'm going to have to eat shit for like at least a year. I'm going to have to shoot a ton of stuff and to get comfortable with the fact that then I can start charging. And I always wonder, because you you can see both sides of the coin with people when they hear that go, oh my God, why are you shooting for free? You know, you're devaluing the industry, da da da. And and then some people can say, well, that's smart because you're you're realizing the actual expectations before you can sit there and say, I'm gonna charge a thousand dollars when I have no business charging that kind of money simply to say, oh, I'm not going to drag down the industry. You, you know but what? Yeah, you know you what devalues it. the industry? What devalues mm-hmm. the industry? There's always going to be somebody who needs their picture taken. This idea that we're yeah. devaluing the industry. Look, you're not looking at the right people. If you're in the top 10% mm-hmm. when it comes to skill level of photographers, the Great Depression could hit today and there's going to be work for you. Like if you're great at what you do, there will always be work for you. That's the number one cog that you always need to remember. If you're not getting work, you, I mean, you, you really need to take an honest look at yourself. Like critiquing yourself is hard. Having somebody else critique you is hard, not just because it's hard to hear it, but it's hard to find people who will honestly critique you. You know, so many people want to right. flatter you and become your friend. And I think the onus is on you to say, look, rip me apart. Like, don't hold punches. I need this. I need you to be honest with me. If my stuff sucks, tell me 
I will get better. Ansel Adams sucked at one point. You know what I mean? Like right. uh, you could hand a baby a camera. They're going to suck. I think what devalues the industry is crappy photographers, and let's call it what it is, crappy photographers going out there and charging a boatload of money, and they're not worth it. Maybe they're great marketers, but their images don't stand up to it. I'm not going to complain about it. I need to become a better marketer. That's what that tells me. You know what I mean? I'm not going to sit here and play the victim. I'm just going to get better. I'm going to be a better photographer. I'm going to be a better marketer. I'm going to beat you at social media. I'm going to beat you up and down the board, and then I'm going to turn around and share what I have because you know if you can't work with the people in the industry, there's always going to be somebody faster, hungrier, younger, you name it coming up. So get good, get great and turn around and share the stuff. And there's always, there's enough work to go around. There just is, you know, there's, I, I hate it so much, man. When I, when I go onto Facebook and I see somebody complaining about so-and-so took my, my watermark away. And I know a lot of the stuff, it, it, they're kind of hot button topics for photographers. We tend to be very right. insular, you know what I mean? Our world's the most important right. world. Um, but seriously, how many jobs have you ever gotten from a watermarked image? Really? What about what about this? What about yeah. learning about how to place metadata in the, the copyright and caption section of your photo so you automatically have a link placed to your website when somebody shares your image on Facebook? What about what about approaching it that way? See, most people don't even know that context to ask that question because you can do that. You can bypass mm-hmm. the the the, ca- the uh, watermark altogether and just place a direct link to your website. Boom, that will show up in the Facebook caption as long as they don't get rid of it. And I found with my clients. Like over 90% of them don't delete my little web link that automatically goes in there. That helps my website's mm-hmm. SEO. That helps just the the organic shareability of my website. It does so much and mm-hmm. I don't have a big watermark. Right. You said, I mean, some people just just literally get caught up and harp on the wrong thing. And and you can you can totally get that. I mean, we're human, we're emotional beings, and and a lot of times, like you said, there's hot button issues where suddenly you just even the name dropping of of, of whatever it is. You get 18 million <laughs> opinions thrown at you, right? you know? So yeah. it, it's interesting because you literally can take any one thing and especially, especially in the creative industry, you'll find someone who will support an, another facet of that or another angle or another, you know, avenue that you should go. Absolutely. But I think what the biggest part of it was, was realizing that even though you were self-taught, even though you could charge money day one, if you wanted to, was knowing that like you said, you had to learn your craft, learn it, come be comfortable enough to gain the confidence to say that you can now, without a doubt, um, you know, say, okay, I'm comfortable charging and whatever it is, the amount doesn't matter, but you're comfortable then charging for your yep. services. So, uh, like we mentioned, you've been running a great YouTube channel, uh, Tootvid, and I'm sure everyone calls it Tutvid, right? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> for, well, it's it's kind of split down the middle. I prefer Tutvid, but I also don't discriminate. Right, because like so. tutorial, right, so Tutvid. Um, right. So for yeah. almost a decade now. So tell me, how did that how did that kind of start for you? And did you think early on it was going to be, and I, when I say not your channel, but YouTube itself, um, as big as it is now, causing you to like really heavily invest at the onset? I mean, because you literally were there at the beginning. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's an interesting story because it didn't start with YouTube. Mm-hmm. It started with I, – I was the moderator over at a website. I think it's still around, pslover.com um, for their forum. I got invited in as like a youngster. And I just started realizing I've been using Photoshop for six months when I started my website. I had no idea what I was talking about when I started my site. In fact, I was just thinking the other day, I need to bring back some of my old tutorials, not only so you can hear like my prepubescent, hey, guys, this is the Thaddeel Dodson <laughs> kind of voice. but but also 
because I just, I, I like, I, I, there was one tutorial I was talking about, like the shape tools and I got to something. I'm like, I really don't know what this is, you know? And I, I just talked by it. Like it was no big right. deal. Like I expect you guys to treat me as if I'm an authority on this, but I'm acknowledging here in this video. Yeah. I don't really know, you know, what the heck this yeah. is. Um, so it's, it started with a, a, a friend of my dad's has a, a big rack space dedicated server plan. He's got this huge construction company he runs. Um, and he knew that I was into tech and stuff like that. I'm a business owner first. Mm -hmm. Like this whole, the whole web design thing, the whole photography thing, the whole video tutorial thing. I entered into that because I was a business person first. My idea was I want to start a new business every year or two. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that was what my goal was. So he knew that. And I've been, I, I, I was day trading stocks when I was like 12 years old. My mom got me a Fidelity investing account and it's a long story, wow. but that was fun. And then I went and sold old antiquarian books. Like we're talking pre 1800s on eBay for about a year. And then by the time I was like 14, 15, I'm like, ah, I'm getting bored with that. I'm going to sell video games and paintball guns. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Do something like that and lost a ton of money because I had no idea what I was doing. It was just a classic case of following something I wanted to do instead of really know what I was doing. Um, and then on the tail of that, I, I, I really got into web design because I started thinking I want to run a merchant website like overstock.com. Mm -hmm. But how, like, how does this whole thing work where somebody buys something? Do you have to go and highlight like inventory left three and change it to two every time somebody buys something? Like, how do you do yeah. that? You know what I mean? And thus was born the idea of dynamic websites and database driven websites. And I got into web design first. That's really what I got into mm, first. And, okay. and Photoshop followed. And I realized very quickly, I can't find tutorials that teach me the way that I feel like you should be taught. Right. You know, they're all very like ambiguous and you should know like three quarters of it already. And I was an idiot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I had no clue what I was doing in Photoshop, right. no business touching the program, quite frankly. Um, so I said, you know what? I'm going to make my own tutorials and I'm not going to do written tutorials. I'm going to do videos. And this is when bandwidth was legitimately expensive right. online. Um, no, I, I, I knew of nobody who was doing video tutorials. L seriously, nobody. I'm not just saying that. This was something where I came up with it. I'm like, I'm going to do it. Um, and I did it. And within like two months, I was getting several thousand hits on my website uh, a wow. month. So which isn't a huge amount, yeah, when but it's when respectable you first started, for a couple right. months. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And me as like a little 15 year old, um, I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is cool. And then the guy who was doing my web hosting contacted me and said, Nathaniel, um, I know I told you I was giving you web hosting for free, but you're driving like, it was something like three terabytes of data a month <laughs> just for those few thousand people. Cause I was doing long wow, tutorials, yeah, yeah. you know? And he's like, it's going to be like seven or 800 bucks a month for oh, bandwidth. Wow. Um, and I was like, Eesh, um, yeah, I can't really afford that. I'm not, the business isn't really necessarily what I call profitable. I was making, I think 10 cents a year on my Google AdWords right. or something. Um, at, so I went onto this PS lovers forum. I'm like, Hey guys, I got this problem. Like, what do you think I should do? Anyone got any ideas? And I think it was the guy who owned the site said, why don't you put them on YouTube? And I had thought about putting them on YouTube. The reason that I didn't was because the way that I was marketing my site was through these tutorial database websites where you just search, like go to Google and search Photoshop tutorials and there are different websites that'll show up where it's literally just lists of other people's Photoshop tutorials that they've linked into these, these directories mm. um, and they're super useful. But the problem was when I started – one of the stipulations for all these websites was you must self-host your video, no using YouTube, which in hindsight is so dumb. Right. I don't know why they would have required that. So I was like, ah, oh, guys, I can't really do that because then I won't be able to submit to any of these sites, yada, yada, yada. 
uh, but I didn't really have any options. So I went and I started the YouTube channel and that's how it started. And it was, it was a difficult climb until I hit 600 subscribers. I remember that was the point where everything turned at 600 subscribers. I was at 10,000 before I knew it. And within a year I was at, you know, I don't know, 80,000. Um, and I really pumped things up until about 2010 when the, that whole death and breakup situation happened. And I, re- I mean, I really focused a lot on photography. I mean, no exaggeration. I was doing maybe four tutorials a year. Oh, wow. So it was, it got put very much on the back burner and it wasn't until the last, for the last two years, I've been re- just re-cranking it up. And especially in the last six months, I've been ripping it up and it's becoming, you know, my primary business again. And it's what I really want to focus on long-term. Um, so did, did it become as big as I wanted it to become or is it, is it bigger than I ever expected? No, I thought I wanted to be the number one guy. Well, no, yeah, you know yeah. What I, mean? I didn't I mean was, like on your end, obviously, but you have a lot of success and we're going to get into that next, but I meant like the actual I channel. I expect it. I expect the it. actual channel. So you, you saw the, the, like, you know, uh, everyone knows like Gary Vaynerchuk. But no, or okay. Like I see what you you're saying. Like, I did. No, I did not. I didn't get into it because I thought it would be like a great business play to right. use Gary's language. <laughs> um, I didn't get into it because of that. I thought I could be the best. Mm-hmm. And like I, at my, at my best, I was the 30th most subscribed person on wow. YouTube. This was, you know, like Smosh, Smosh and Lonely Girl 13 were like the number <laughs> one and two. But like Michelle Fawn, for yeah. instance, it misses 8 million subscribers. She does all that advertising. She, her and I were like neck and neck for the longest oh, time. Wow. Like that's how I know Michelle yeah. Fawn. I mean, I don't know her personally, but that's how I became familiar with her. Cause I mean, I don't, I don't do makeup or whatever she yeah. does. Um, but that's how I knew her. I mean, we were neck and neck for the longest time. The difference is she stuck with it through the, the three, four years that I took off and she can continued going up and up and up. And I just kind of plateaued. Mm-hmm. And now I'm to the point, you know, we're growing again at about 10,000 subscribers a month. So it's, you know, nice. it's, 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 it's getting back to where I want it to be. And, and it'll be big, you know, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be, I don't know if it'll ever be where I want it to be because I get to a point and then I'm like, I can yeah, be better. Right? I mean, that, yeah. That's, I mean, it's an artist curse. You know what I mean? Like you can sit there and say, yeah, right. <laughs> enough is never enough. And, and that's, it's a viable thing. Right. So, I mean, what, what I want to talk about is the fact that you said it like, to me, what I thought was the most interesting takeaway was that 600, 600 was your tipping point. That's nothing. Even, yep. even back then. I know. You know, you can sit there and say, yeah. wow, depth versus width. You know what I mean? Like you can say, okay, that's 600 people that were really into what you were doing because then they helped spike it and grow it to what it is. Honestly, in, in terms of today's YouTube channels, it's probably more like 2,000. But even at that, 2,000 is nothing. And I got an example for you. I just started about six months ago working with this guy here in Philly. And we're we're kind of like breaking off what we're doing. We're we're kind of refocusing on what I actually think is going to work from a video standpoint. But we're building his channel, and he's his social media footprint is virtually nothing. I mean, he's got a pretty big Twitter account, like seventy thousand followers there, but they're not seventy thousand people that engage. Right? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, and Facebook is like non-existent. Snapchat, he doesn't know what Snapchat is. He's in his sixties. Um, you know, and, and he, he, it's not a very like thorough and deep social media presence. So we didn't really have anything we were building on. In about four months, we were at 600 subscribers and that was putting up about three videos a week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's not, it's not about, yes, you need to have some talent. You need to be able to sit in front of a camera. Hopefully you got half decent quality camera wise. Um, but even as a photographer, you know, have your assistant when you're not working, take the iPhone, shoot in landscape mode, um, and just, you know, assemble little stories. You know, you can go and get a beautiful intro, a beautiful uh, piece of music from, you know, Pond 5 or Theme Forest, Video Hive, whatever they're calling it over there. Any of these, you know, stock, stock sound.net or when, you know, stockmusic.net, I'm sorry. Um, anything like that. You can put together a nice little intro to make it look more professional and you can, you know, spend, spend 
20 hours a week working on that mm-hmm. stuff. That's that's 21st century marketing. Yeah, yeah. You're not you're not taking out an ad in the yellow book anymore. You need to build that social footprint. So build your YouTube channel, build your Twitter follow, like pick something and stick to it. You can't build Tumblr, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, you know, everything, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it right. too. So pick the social media networks you want to stick with. And most importantly, a blog, you know, write a blog post or two a week um, and just, you know, build that. And and don't just, when I say that, like the Google algorithms are smart now. Gone are the days where you can just write three or four paragraphs and throw a blog post up and say, oh, Google will find me. I mean, they will, but they'll find you enough to say this isn't really a post of value. If you know how SEO works, Google is now targeting long form Mm -hmm. comment. Tell a story, write 10 paragraphs, write a thousand words. A a buddy of mine, Sean McCabe, I just interviewed him. He's all about writing. He's a big calligraphy guy. And now he's into like web marketing marketing and writing. He just says, look, write a thousand words Mm -hmm. a day. You start there, make that your goal. If you can only get 500, get 500 point is write something a day. And, and if you, if you break a blog post up over the course of three or four days, you know, Hey, at least you're getting one or two, even if it's just one, one great blog post a week, that's 52 blog posts a year. That's 52 more places that you can be found. I can give you an example, a blog post I wrote two years ago for a real estate client here Mm -hmm. in Philly. I just went out to Pittsburgh and did like a $5,000 job for a client out there because her web designer from California found my blog post about this real estate agent who I photographed here in Philly. She's a big real estate agent out there in Pittsburgh. I got the job. They went with me. Out of everyone in the country, they paid for my travel, everything, shipped me out. We shot the stuff, shipped me back, and they absolutely loved what we got for them. That's awesome. And, and you know, and what, what does it take? Do you know yeah. what I mean? You put it up there, you let it live on your website. You're not paying to keep it there anymore. And you're paying to keep your portfolio up right. online, you know, increase your digital footprint, but intelligently. And, and like with, with, with information that's useful, right. you know, just throwing a blog post up because it's like, oh, I got to get a blog post up. I mean, I, I, I appreciate and I respect the understanding and the willingness to put the blog post up. That's good. But what's great is when you deliver a blog post with content, you know, just throw your lighting sketches up there. Talk about how you retouch the images. There's nothing secret. You know what I mean? There's nothing, there's nothing secret anymore. I can't tell you the number of times I've reached out to, to, to other photographers and asked them like, Hey, come on to Tutvid. I want to talk about how you retouch these composites. Mm -hmm. There's a photographer. I can't remember his name. I wouldn't even say his name. Just kind of want to call him out. Um, But he did like great, like very Dave Hill style composites, Mm -hmm. like like legit stuff, like looked pretty cool. And I reached out to him like, Hey, I would love to do a series with you on how you do some of your techniques. Um, and like the email I got back from him, no joke was just, I'm not interested. I'm not into sharing any of my secrets. And I just like, it left such a bad taste in my mouth I'm like, like we all use the same cameras, right? right. Nikon, Canon, it's freaking Samsung. Give me an iPhone. Like there's guys doing shoots on iPhones. Like stop it with this nonsense. Yeah. Light is different everywhere you go. Your subject is always going to be different. Your retouching is always different. The, the, you know, whether I do three strokes with my Dodge and burn on my Wacom tablet or you do six, like you, I'm never going to be able to replicate what you right. do. You're never going to be able to replicate what I no, do. You, yeah, you know you what said I mean? It. I, I don't it's, know. It's one of those things that nowadays people, it's got to be realistic. It's 2016. And, you know, behind the scenes, even 10 years ago is not a word, but now you said it, it is, you know, people lighting diagrams, sharing how they retouch something and realizing that, you know, I can, and I've done this before. I can tell people, listen, take my $6,000 D4, have all my lighting, take the same model. I'll even give you the same fucking settings and you take this photo. And, and I do that with five people and you have five different photographs. It's like, it yeah, doesn't, see, Jose, the problem, the problem with that is I don't shoot icons. So, you know, I just, I, I don't even know why I'm talking to you, you know, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, and, and it, it, like you said, it is, it is scary that some people are kind of closed minded 
and just don't literally see the bigger picture and what's going on right now. So, yeah. uh, by the way, I just want to really say this real quick with your YouTube channel. Congratulations on working your way up to now almost a quarter million followers or yeah, 250,000 for the heart, you know, for the heart <laughs> of math, right? Are you right. any plans for celebrating the big moment? Does YouTube send out anything for 250 the same way they do for 100? So YouTube, <laughs> um, first celebration wise, no, not really. I kind of, I might do like an acknowledgement in my monthly newsletter right. and just say, like, hey, thanks guys. Um, I, I might do something for half a million, like a big giveaway or mm -hmm. something. And I'm talking like a legit give giveaway, like a Mac pro or something oh, like wow. that. Um, so I, I think I, I, that like, that's probably my plan for something like that. Um, YouTube. So here's how the YouTube awards work. YouTube sends you a silver button, which mine is up in that shelf right there. Mm -hmm. Um, well, you can see the people listening, <laughs> can't see. but, uh, I've got the silver button comes at a hundred thousand subscribers. You get a big gold button. It's like this big oh, at wow. a million subscribers. Oh, wow. And then at 10 million, you get what's called YouTube's diamond button. And that's only been given to like, I don't know, 25 or 30 people or something. And it's just this like solid, it's like this three-dimensional encrusted diamond with like YouTube's play button. It's not a real diamond, obviously. Um, <laughs> like the 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 YouTube logo. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Look, I mean, you should look it up. It yeah. looks pretty neat. No, um, but it's very that. different than the framed, because the silver button is a framed thing. The gold button is a framed thing. But the diamond button is this other thing. And beyond 10 million, I don't think YouTube has anything. I heard rumblings there was going to be like a red button or something for 50 million. Mm. But I have no idea. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I don't wow. know. Wow, that's crazy. So, so yeah, so so they go from, I guess they do it in kind of like almost like tens, you know, values of tens, you know. So yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting to know. Which which does kind of suck because you know, I mean, there are some people who can legitimately make it to like half a million, but probably won't ever make it to a million. You know what I mean? And it would right. be cool, yeah, yeah, if somebody like that got something like that. But also, you know, I mean, there's so much more value in it when it's like. If you got the gold play button, you're kind of in an esteemed company as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, for my part, again, I, I'm a pretty competitive person. I would rather go for the the million. You know what I mean? Like right, you set right. the bar at a million. Hey, I'll make it. I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's the way I look at that. But it would be kind of cool because there definitely are people that I know of who it's like they're at like 500,000 or maybe 600, but it's going to take them five or maybe 10 years before they'd ever get to a million. Right. And at that point, how many of the original 500,000 are still even sticking around? So like, what is that number anyway? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, you said it. But yeah. So speaking of your subscriber success, you know, uh, have you been able, and I know you do now, to monetize the show easily with the numbers you've gotten over the years? Or for a long time, like when was that kind of tipping point where it was more than just a labor of love? And to that point, I've, I've noticed in doing my research that some of your oldest videos have the most views. So you can say, okay, it's the evergreen effect, right? But at the same time, <laughs> and I get not everyone has the latest edition of every editing app, but it's like kind of crazy to think that sometimes maybe you're using stuff that isn't even like exist anymore and people are still watching mm -hmm. it and still, you know, uh, finding it and finding it useful. So do you think that was the kind the evergreen thing was kind of helping or was it just that back then there was a lot less noise on YouTube as a whole? Um, a couple things. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, First of all, I guess uh, let me answer the evergreen question first. Sure. It th those videos are not that evergreen. Um, I mean, they're still getting some views, but they're not even in like my top 30 most viewed like this month kind of thing. Mm -hmm. it, the the story of the old videos that have like over a million views, it's a story of that's when I was that's when I had been working on my YouTube channel for three or four years mm -hmm. consistently, mm -hmm. and then I stopped. Mm. That that's what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and a lot of that stuff, I mean, I was, I was at the point where I could put up a tutorial and I would get 200,000 views in a month and a half. 
You know what I mean? Like for a very short period of time, for like three to six months, right before, you know, the whole thing with my nephew went down. That summer of 2010, that was like, that was a turning point for the company um, in a bad and a good way because it, it it humbled me a lot, but it's also made me hungrier than ever mm-hmm. and forced me to like readapt everything. Right. Yes, there was much less noise on YouTube. There were, there were just less people making tutorials. There were. But again, back to my photographer analogy, what does that mean to me? get better at what you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I look yeah, through yeah. my comments and and I have, you know, 500 new comments this week and no joke, like I, I usually go through my comments on, on Saturdays and try to respond to everybody. This past week, I had two negative comments out of all my comments. Like to me, that means something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When I put up a video and get 200 thumbs ups and like one or two thumbs downs, that, that to me, that's, that means something to me. You know what I mean? That means I'm going yeah. in a right direction. People are, they're, they're gravitating toward what I'm doing. So I don't really think it's the evergreen effect. I definitely, evergreen content is just better because you can have a tutorial. I mean, I've got tutorials that I put out. You want to talk about evergreen effect. Evergreen effect is I have a tutorial right now has like, it's approaching 400,000 views. I put it out last September, I think, maybe mm-hmm. October. It's got like 400,000 views and it's it's steadily every month getting, you know, 35 to 40,000 views still. Nice. So that's, that to me is, that what's, that's more what's that one evergreen. Uh, it's like 28, 28 of my best tips and tricks of Photoshop, something like oh, that. Okay, the, one the, list. the yellow girl with the yellow shirt on Yes, okay. yep, 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 that's the one. Um, so, you know, imagine as 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 a, a YouTube channel creator, yeah. if I had 10 of those videos that I put out, if I get one out a month, you can have 12 of those videos a year. Well, what's 12 times 40,000? You know, just the viewership you get from those 12 videos is a, you know, a huge amount of viewership that you're getting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, yeah, Evergreen Effect is there. Evergreen Effect is useful. But, you know, I, the, the producer for The Who, the band of The Who, I don't remember who, what the guy's name was. Um, and this is a problem that I fall into a lot with, with creating anything mm-hmm. from a creative standpoint, fo- photography or tutorials, but espe- it was especially pronounced my tutorials. I didn't want to create anything unless I knew it was going to be the best. Right. You know, and maybe there's a little bit of pride in there. Maybe there's a little bit of like making excuses for procrastination, probably. Um, but I, I, I was watching this documentary about The Who, and, and this producer told them, stop trying to write hit songs. Write songs and the hits will come. And yeah. like to me, yeah. that like flipped the way that I looked at it because I thought, man, if I craft the perfect tutorial, I can craft the best image, the best film, the best tutorial, and it's going to be a hit. The problem with that is, is you end up spending all this time on one image. Like, let's talk in, in terms of photographer. Mm-hmm. You spend all this time on one image and you put it up on Facebook and you get six likes. Right. And if, and if that's like the gratification you get from it, if that's where you're getting your gratification, you leave totally disappointed and you feel like I spent money, I spent two and a half weeks and like, that's it. You know what I mean? And we can talk about whether or not that's the the right motivation behind creating images or not, whatever. Um, but that, that, that flipped everything for me. So back to the other question about monetizing the show, um, it depends on what you mean by monetizing it. So I, I, I'm part of a YouTube network now called full screen and they pay me, um, and, and I get money for all the ads and everything like that on mm-hmm. the videos in terms of getting individual sponsors for the videos. That's a newer thing that I've been trying to do. Um, and basically it's like, you know, I, I try to get 2000 bucks a month per sponsor. Like mm-hmm. that's what I charge. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell what I charge or not, if that's legal or I don't know. I don't <laughs> care. I break the rules. Um, so I try to get 2000 bucks a month per sponsor and not per video, but per sponsor. And I'll sell them a package like, mm-hmm. you know, all of these videos each month or these four Photoshop tutorials a month or these four web design tutorials a month. Um, and and pretty much I've noticed the ratio works out to like out of every 20 sponsors I email, 
maybe like half of them will email back with interest and then two will still be standing once I start talking about price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, and, then, and then it's a matter of like working with sponsors because I don't want to have like six stock photo agencies that I'm advertising because I do want there to be honesty in my yeah. sponsorships and I want, you know, there, there are plenty of companies that I turn down. I mean, companies that will offer me free gear that I'm just like, look, I would love to take it, but like I can't do a review of this. You know what I mean? Like, right. It just doesn't fit into what my yeah. channel is and it wouldn't be fair for you. It would be great for me, but it wouldn't be fair for you and it certainly wouldn't be fair for like my viewers. And to me, my viewers are everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I try to be careful about that. So monetizing, I didn't I didn't monetize for eight years. Like monetize in terms of getting sponsorships. YouTube and making money on Google, I did as quickly as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was, you know, again, making a buck or two a year. And then it jumped to, it pretty much went from like, yeah, not very much to a few hundred bucks a month to a few thousand a month. Um, yeah. And, nice. and it, it literally wavers every month. It goes up and down, mm-hmm. but it's great. Cause it's just, yeah, it's just there and, and you can watch the numbers. You can watch the money numbers. Or you can watch the views. You can watch the amount of minutes people are watching, mm-hmm. um, and just subscribers gaining and, and, and dropping and all that. I try not to get too caught up in the numbers though. Cause it's not, you know, I mean, the numbers are there and it's great and it allows me to do what I do at the end of the day, but I would still do it even if I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, no, know, cut for my sure. legs off and take all my money away. And I'm still going to try to run the marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so speaking of that, I mean, you, you then had, especially in your heyday, right? When it was really working like a well-oiled machine, you then had the ability to say, okay, this is kind of something that's sustaining itself in the background, right? Making me money month in, month out. So was that where, did you, like you said, you saw yourself doing more on the photography end of things. So do you see yourself more as a photographer who happens to make tutorials or a YouTuber who takes photos? You know, because they kind of have seemed to go hand in hand over the years. You know, like you said, in the beginning, it was no photos. It was just learning Photoshop, but lately, obviously, it's taken more of a, a Photoshop tutorial because like we know with a lot of digital age of photographers, that became like a thing. It was no longer just graphic designers yep. and illustrators. It was how do image makers make their stuff not suck as much. <laughs> um, it It's how should I put this? I don't really view myself as a YouTuber or a photographer. I view myself as a business person first Mm -hmm. and foremost. If I have the opportunity to invest in a company, I'll do that just as quickly as go out and take, you know, a a shoot with the Philadelphia Flyers. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So I probably, I would say like photographer first because it's turned into such an integral part of what I'm doing. And I still Mm -hmm. take photography jobs every month. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, de- I mean, the YouTube is definitely a part of it. I don't know. I don't know that I can really separate the two. Right. You know what I mean? If I had to give up one, I would give up the photography, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And the reason is the YouTube stuff is less overhead cost, more passive income. And I think overall, a great, uh, an ability for me to create a greater impact on more people and also make more money overall in the future. Right. Uh, And and probably have great and have greater staying power. Mm -hmm. That being said, the actual act of doing one or the other, like creating a tutorial versus going out and shooting photography, I much prefer going out and shooting photography. I love it. I love going out and taking pictures. There's just nothing beats it. You know what I mean? I I would, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you said it. Yeah. A little bit left brain, a little bit right brain, you know, where Mm -hmm. the business side of you says, okay, YouTube makes more of a, of a, make more sense to me than photography but you're asking me as an artist i love shooting and i'll, I'll rather pick that so yep. it definitely makes sense so yeah, with that absolutely. said tell us a bit about your photography work itself 
Yeah, so my photography, I, I sum it up as like a three-dimensional HBO meets National Geographic. <laughs> like that's, exa- that's exactly, and, and what, what does that mean? I don't know. You know, what does it mean <laughs> when you say I shoot moody images? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? That's just, those are the words that pop into my mind when I look at my stuff. And, and right. when I'll tell that to somebody who, who wants to go, you know, uh, vet me for a job, they come back and they're like, yeah, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's how I describe my work. It's, it virtually, all of it is location work. I, mm-hmm. I, I shoot 80% of my jobs end up being location jobs or composites for location stuff. Um, very, very little bit, you know, like there's commercial fashion work that I'll do that's all shot in studio and like some headshots. That's basically it. Pretty much everything else I shoot on location. To me, it's more challenging. It's more of like yeah. a physical exercise and, you know, I got to get to the gym. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I just, I, I like every aspect of it. The changing light, the fact that every environment's a little bit different, uh, the unique challenges you face, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, making sure that light stand doesn't blow over to avoiding the police. And I'm telling you, I break the rules, man. I break the <laughs> Can I tell a quick story about yeah, yeah, uh, about some photography work I did? So a couple of years ago, I was photographing this girl who came down from New York. I was actually shooting her here in my garage. And um, it was a TF shoot. Mm-hmm. Her father, it turned out, was the neurological liaison or assistant, whatever part of the part of the medical liaison for President Lyndon B. Johnson. He traveled oh, wow. with them to like you know off the coast of Vietnam and all that garbage was going on. Um, and it, all kinds of insane stories about these the men, mental hospitals he worked in in New York City and Philly and Baltimore and just up and down the East Coast. Just insane stories. And and at the end of our shoot. Um, cause you know, I'm talking to him and he's like, he's like, I had to come with my daughter on this shoot because he's like, you know, I've never come with her on a shoot before. And he's like, I just wanted to see what fashion photographers were like. He's like, if they're all like you, oh, they're just, you know, they're great guys. You know, I thought they were like, you know, skeevy and going to be hitting on my daughter and yada, yada, yada. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to my own horn. I'm just as much of a perv as probably any other guy. I mean, we're all naturally kind of weird like that. <laughs> um, but, but I, I kind of like laughed and I was like, if you, if like, go look up a photographer named Terry Richardson, like, and just know that like, that's the other extreme, you know what I mean? And there's people that fall everywhere in the middle. Like we're not all like him, but we're not all like me. Everybody's kind of like at their own slot. And there's some people who are better than me. You know what I mean? When it comes to dealing with clients. Um, and, and at the end of the whole thing, we just, just interesting conversations. I love talking to new people. Yeah. And at the end of the whole thing, he's sitting there on like his, his the stool or whatever I gave him. And his daughter is over in the other room getting changed and getting ready to go. And he's like, he's like, Nathaniel, do me a favor. He's like, next time you have the opportunity to do something wrong, take the opportunity to do something wrong. He's like, you don't do enough stuff that's wrong. You know, you don't get out and do edgy stuff. So I was like, yes, I will do that as long as that doing thing wrong is not like murdering somebody, you know, <laughs> as long as I don't, as long as I don't see anything morally wrong with what you're telling me to go and do, I'll right. take the opportunity to do something that's wrong. So lo and behold, later that night, all of a sudden police are all around my house. There's like fire trucks everywhere. This big field across the street from my house is all lit up. I thought they were going to like land a helicopter or something in it. I mean, hundreds of firefighters. I have I'm like, what in the world is going on? Red Cross pulls up. So I go out and I'm asking people what's going on. Oh, sorry, sir. We can't tell you what's going on. I'm like, look, I need to know what's going on. I've got, you know, two nephews that live next door to me, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law right next door. You know, there's neighbors that we know who live right here. Like what's like, what in the world's going on? Is there a gas leak? Cause there's, I mean, there's a quarry not too far away from here. There's a big like varnish processing plant. I had no idea what was going on. Right. They wouldn't tell me these black vehicles are pulling up. FBI agents are getting Shut out. Up. What the Holy heck shit. is going on? Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? And, and nobody's telling me anything. So I'm like, you know, what? I went over to my brother and sister's house. It's like at probably midnight, 1am at this point. Mm-hmm. 
I went over there. I'm like, guys, I'm getting in my car. I'm not turning the headlights on. I'm sneaking out of here. I'm taking my cameras. I'm going to go figure out what's going on because I'm not going to wake up tomorrow morning and have the entire town tell me that nothing happened. Like something weird was going on. I didn't know what was going on. And it was like, you know, so I went up, I went, I drove through like one checkpoint, another checkpoint. I'm just like, you know, doing whatever I can to get through the checkpoint. Like I got to get to the store. I got to do this. I got to do that. Blah, 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 blah. All right, sir. You can go through. Will I be able to get back home? Yeah, yeah. We'll let you back through. Just, you know, let us know. Uh, So, you know, I finally get to like this big crime scene. There's a big bomb squad truck, right? So I'm like, what in the world, right? And it's right next to, there's a big Walmart super center right near where I live. And so I I take my camera, I get out of my car. I'm like all dressed in like my military BDUs. You know, I'm like, I'm going to figure out what's going on. So I, I go, I sneak through the police line and it's pretty big. Like they, they cordoned off a pretty big area. And there, I, I ran into this area where there's like six or seven cops standing there. And I was hidden behind a retaining wall and they were right up above me. And I had to get up around this retaining wall to go see what was going on. So I pick up like a big hunk of broken asphalt and I throw it up past the cops and it breaks in pieces in the, in the middle of the road. And they freak out and go running over to it. I get up, I take off running across the road. I got like my tripod over my shoulder, a, a, a 200 or 300 millimeter lens on my camera you know, run, jump into the grass. I get behind this doctor's office and everything's quiet, right? The only thing I see is this big like gas tank and a pickup truck that's sitting there with both the front doors open and like the rear lift gate open. That's Mm -hmm. it, a little silver Ford Ranger. So I crawl over and I'm laying next to this big fuel tank and I'm like 10, 15 feet away from this truck. And as I'm laying there, I'm looking around. I can see all the ambient lights and everything, but there's no light where I am. I'm completely in the dark. A, a, a little robot – no, I'm sorry, not a little robot. Uh, a guy in like the big Hulkin bomb squad suit comes like over to the truck right like 10 feet away from me. I'm like, crap. If this is like <laughs> – if, if this is what's going on, I got to move from here. Yeah. Plus, I don't want him to see me. Yeah. You know, so I'm taking pictures. I'm taking pictures of him, right? And he comes. He's – look, I really haven't moved much. He can't, comes over to the truck. He's digging through it. He has no idea. I'm literally right – I could have picked up a rock and hit him with it. Right. No clue that I'm sitting there, right? Taking pictures. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. All of a sudden, I hear him say, oh, you know, expletive, expletive, expletive. And he runs. So I'm like, crap. You know, so I'm up. I run. I run up this little hill, maybe like 30 feet. And there's a big drainage ditch, six feet deep. Jump into it. I duck down. And well, maybe not six feet. Maybe it's more like five feet because I could rest my camera on the top and shoot over it. And I'm sitting there and Honestly, like selfishly for like a second, I'm like, truck, please blow up. These would be amazing photos. You know, (laughs) I'm safe now. It's time for you to blow up. But it didn't. And then like the little Wally robot comes out around the corner, beep, 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 you know, all the arms and everything. And it comes and it's like poking and prodding and pulling stuff. And in the end, they ended up finding nothing. Other cops came back and then they, 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 I thought they spotted me up on the hill in this Mm -hmm. ditch. What I'd done is I piled some branches in front of me because I figured if I can break up my outline, it doesn't matter. Even if light hits me, they're never going to recognize me as a human being because it just looks like a bush. Um, but these two guys come walking up toward me. They've got like a big pike pole in their hand and the other guy's got a rifle. And I'm like, shoot. So I pop my compact flashcard out of my camera. Like I'm going to eat my compact flashcard. They're not getting the pictures. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. They can confiscate my camera. I'm eating my card. I'll vomit it up later when I get home. You know what I mean? Right. I, yeah. I, 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 like no exaggeration. This is what went through my mind. Um, so they come walking up toward me. And then at the last minute, they're like, no, that's nothing. And they turn and walk, like cut straight across oh, in front wow. of me, a hard right turn and walk over to the truck. Well, then when I get, I, so I, I, I leave. And then on the way back, I'm like, you know what? Forget stealth. I just walk right down the middle of the street, lift the police line and walk out like with the camera on my shoulder. Well, you would have thought I like 
put a gun to somebody's head. I hear footsteps come running after me. Who is that with the camera? Stop that guy. Stop that guy. And I don't run. I'm just, I just casually walk, hit the Walmart parking lot. I'm still walking. I'd park my car way far away. I wasn't going to walk toward it anyway because there's no way they're getting a hold of that. And I turn around and, you know, they're yelling at me, you know, what are you doing? You can't take pictures, blah, 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 blah. And the police chief comes over and he's screaming at me. Right. One of my favorite books, by the way, Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Yeah. And the first thing that pops to my mind is Sun Tzu says, you know, he who loses his composure first loses the war. So I look at him screaming at me and I just like cock like a, like, like a, like it had to have been the most annoying looking smile. Cause what I'm thinking in my head is you lose your composure, buddy. I win. Right. You know what I mean? He's screaming yeah. at me. I'm taking that camera. I'm going to break that camera. So go for it. Take the camera. If you want, there's not even a flashcard in it. Cause I'd already taken the flashcard out and like tucked it in my sock. So I hand him the camera and he pops it open and he looks in the, like, you know, he sees there's no card. And he's like, why were you even back there with a camera if you didn't have a card? I'm like, "Ah, maybe we'll never know. Right. (laughs) So he lets me go. Wow. Let's me go. I walk, get in my car, go home, sent the picture to like ABC, Fox News. Nobody, nobody had any idea that anything happened. Like it would have never. So then then the story ended up coming out like a couple weeks later. There was a guy who had been assembling pipe bombs that the the FBI was after. They chased him and they arrested him behind this building. And they thought he had said that he had rigged his truck to blow up. So that little frigging truck that I was right near (laughs) in between that and, and and a big tank of gas. But all that to say that I don't care what the rules are, right. you know, all in the name of a good picture, you yeah. know, and I thought it was an opportunity to go take some pictures and, and, and honestly figure out what was going on. But once mm-hmm. I was there, I wasn't just like, oh, bomb squad, cool. I'll go home. I'm like, no, this is an opportunity to get some pictures. Right. And that's the kind of mentality I take everywhere, you know, whether it's, you know, photography stuff or, you know, designing a, a, a blog post for something or writing a, a video tutorial. It doesn't matter. It's just, you know, whatever it takes to get good product, like do what it takes. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, we're at getting up to about an hour. We have about five okay. questions left. So we're going to do a bit okay. of a, a rapid fire round. All right. Okay. So let's go for it. Are there any, my story took too long. Yeah. Are there any personal projects you've been working on? What are your thoughts on personal projects as a whole? No real personal projects I'm working on. I am, uh, I, I have an idea. I want to do like a 20 hour long podcast covering, uh, like ancient history from like 70 AD up into like the late 1600s because I feel like it's a period of time nobody knows much about mm-hmm. and I love history. So like if there was a personal project, that would be it. But photography yeah. personal project wise, not right now. Okay. And per- what do I think about personal projects? I think they're great. They expand your skill set. They allow you to play with new ideas and things that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. Nice. What's the biggest risk you've taken in your artistic career? Uh, getting married. <laughs> Just because I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't you know what? That's, I, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I didn't know what it held. I didn't know what it would do to me, but it's turned out to be uh, good in terms of like motivational, kicking my butt into like another gear. Mm-hmm, so for sure. risk, but paid off. For sure. Yeah. Name your biggest fear creatively. Not making something that's perfect. I mean, it's exactly what we talked about before, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I, I honestly think that's what it is. I, I It's not really about Facebook likes. I mean, that's nice. Instagram likes, that's cool. Um, but yeah, it's about not, it, not make, not making a difference, you know, when it comes to like creative stuff. And then like in a larger picture, I, I do sometimes think about it like historically 500 years from now, is anybody going to care that I even existed? Probably not. So there's a small part of me that wishes I could do something creatively or else that makes me stick out. Like we still mm-hmm. think about Da Vinci, you know what yeah. I mean? But we don't think about Da Vinci's neighbor, Mr. You know, curmudgeon, <laughs> you know, we don't even know who he is. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. But Da Vinci yeah, was I mean, something, special. Something that's bigger than just yourself for sure. Yeah. You know, so name the most meaningful moment in your career thus far. In my career thus far, uh, the mo- the moment that I decide to start 
anything. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess to be a little bit more specific, the moment I decided to start doing the tutorials, I remember mm-hmm. I had my headset on. I was shaking. I was so nervous before I started recording. Um, and the moment that I just said, you know what, I'm I'm going for the wedding thing. And then also the moment where I threw away all the wedding stuff, which by the way, I was making decent money doing and just said, I need to refresh my life. I need to do mm-hmm. something else um, and jumped into the portrait stuff. That would have been nice. the most meaningful, you know, really anytime nice. I take a big risk, but yeah. What would you say is the biggest regret in your career? Letting the breakup affect me for as long as it did mm-hmm. with that, 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 that screwed up situation that I went through a late 2010 through early 2011. I seriously did not completely get over it until about spring of 2013. Mm-hmm. And that those two years, 2012 for me was like a dead year. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's horrible to think back because I think about all the people that had amazing 2012s and the incredible things people did during 2012. And it's like, what the heck was I doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. sitting on the sideline moping. Like, are you serious, dude? Like, grow up. You know what I mean? Like, it, it sickens me to even think about it. Like, I, I'm, I'm so disappointed. Still to this day, disappointed, very disappointed in myself about the way I handled that whole situation and mm-hmm. wish I would have done it differently. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's easier to look back on something and say, I, I could have, should have, would have. Right. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, like big, you said, biggest when, regret for sure. When you're in it, you're in it, man. You know what I mean? Like it's a, you. It's your whole world's crashing, and it's it's it is a big deal. Um, but yeah. looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty for sure. Yeah, it it, co- it cost me more money than anything else has in my life, business wise, and it also going back to what you talked about the splits between those old tutorials having million you know million plus views, mm-hmm. and you know, is it evergreen? No, it it was like pre breakup, pre death of my nephew situation as far as the state of the company post and mm-hmm. I'm finally starting to, you know, well, not finally, I have pulled the company out of that. And now it's like, let's take it, let's take it way beyond where it's ever been and do something amazing. Nice. Nice. So time for an even deeper one. If you couldn't share your work with anyone, would you still shoot? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sharing. I, if you go and look at my Facebook page, in fact, I don't think I've put anything up there in months. Um, Instagram, I don't share 90% of what I shoot. I don't share. Mm-hmm. I haven't even, for all the, the, the pomp and circumstance I put around writing blog posts, I don't think I've written a blog post on my personal website since early 2013, like my photography website. Mm-hmm. It's something that I'm working on. And I keep telling myself every month, all right, this is the month we're going to do one, one blog post a week. And then before I know it, the month has passed and I've just, you know, all the other crap I'm working on, but it's not for lack of trying now. Right. Yeah. Back, yeah. you know, the last couple of years, it was for, you know, just like, ah, eh, whatever, you know, we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, what was the question again? I forget. <laughs> if you couldn't share your work with anyone, would you? Oh, right. Share? Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely would. Because the, the joy for me, like the, the joy for me comes at two specific points. Um, well, I mean, I love like the grind of it all. I love getting up at four in the morning to go to a sunrise shoot. There's something about that. That's just fun. I don't know that I want to do it every day. Mm-hmm. But there's something about that. That's, that's awesome. Um, but the moment I take the shot and I look at the camera and I look at whoever I'm shooting and I look at the camera and it's just like this, whatever this is, it's so right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just like everything about it's right. And you can't wait to get it home and process it and share it with the client or share it with somebody um, and see what they have to say. Now, there I go. I I, start, you know, I want to share it with people. So I do want to share with people. That being said, I think I still would shoot um, if, if only I could enjoy the photos. I just, I love the act of shooting. I love right. the act of shooting. I don't need people's accolades. I know that I'm great at what, well, no, I shouldn't say that. I, <laughs> You're confident. I'm the most humble yeah, person yeah. I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's just confident what you do. And like you said, it, it right. took a while I, to get there, but own it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because like, you know. Right. And I, I don't want it to come you. off as mm. like, 
Right. I don't want to come off as like cocky. I, I have as much to learn as the next guy. You can be a beginner in photography. You will teach me something if we get together for an afternoon. But I feel right. like I'm self-aware enough to know that I have something to learn from you. And I'm not just going to be like, oh, dude, get out of here. Like take your little right. you know, D5500 and kick yeah. rocks. You know what I mean? I'll be like, let's right. hang out. Let's shoot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I still do TF shoots every, well, not every month, but I try to do them every month. Because mm-hmm. um, I still like, I, you know, I want to I give stuff to people who need something growing up and coming through this stuff. And I feel like I've had, I mean, I've only been a photographer for five, five and a half years, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I have some experiences and things that I can share with people and just observations that I've made, you know, over the years, whether it's been work or personal stuff or I like, you know, history buff. There's always like a historical anecdote you can throw in and just make somebody think about something just a little bit differently. And sometimes like that's the moment it all clicks for them. And it's so cool. Nice. So Nathaniel, again, thank you for taking the time out today and chatting with us. So where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? So they can obviously see the tutorials, tutvid.com. That's T-U-T-V-I-D.com. My photography website is NathanJosephDodson.com. Those would probably be the two best places. And from there, all my social media profiles are are hooked in. Snapchat, tutvid.com. The .com is part of the username. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are probably the best places to check out what I'm doing, where I am. All right, Nathaniel. So listen, Last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? So I saw this question uh, on the list that you sent to me, and I thought about it for like 30 seconds. I didn't think about it for too long because I didn't want to completely be caught with my pants down. <laughs> no, I hear you. The The guy who who writes the Dilbert comic strip, Scott Adams, mm-hmm. has just – he's got great content. He does these like micro blogs I think every day, a lot of interesting stuff. I see him doing a fair number of interviews, and he's got great stuff on tech, on creativity. He even touches on politics and just – there's so much great stuff that he has and so much interesting stuff that you just kind of like listen to him and, Mm -hmm. and it's sort of, yeah, of course. I mean, that's absolutely right. Uh, Right. smart, smart guy. And the other guy, uh, who, who I think that you should interview and I could probably even hook you up with him, Mm -hmm. Matthew Jordan Smith. I'm not sure if you've interviewed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him. Yeah. We've never interviewed, uh, I've met him before, but never great. Never. Yeah. Just amazing guy to talk to. There's, I don't know if there's been a, another person I've ever met in my life who within 30 seconds of hearing him speak, I was like, I need to introduce myself to this guy. I need to hook up with this guy and talk and figure out everything I can. Just the way he is with people, the way he talks to people, the way he talks to groups, the way he talks about his clients, the way he handles his clients, just some amazing stories that – that I've taken a lot out of as far as dealing with clients and handling clients and just massaging the clients you have and just showing them how much you care about them and, and making them feel like this is more than just going to any old photography studio or working Mm -hmm. with any old photographer, just so much great stuff that he's got. So Matthew Jordan Smith and Scott Adams, both guys that I think would be great. And I think would deliver a lot of value to uh, the, the podcast listeners. Right, right. Awesome. Well, thank you. That's definitely two great people. And like we said, or well, like we say to everyone, uh, if the if someone that you suggest is someone that you have a any kind of working relationship with, we definitely would love you know the help to have a, a warm lead and stuff like that, and uh, would greatly appreciate it. Sure. So, listen, Nathaniel. Thanks again for taking the time out. Had a great time today. Hope you enjoyed the time in the show, and uh, we'll talk soon. It's awesome. Thank you so much for having me again. All right. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen. All right, guys. Hope you just enjoyed that great episode. Now let's get back to it with Digital Transitions. They're hiring a head of design, web, and social media for their New York office. So be sure to check out that job, 
Share it with your friends if you know anybody who'd be a great addition to the Digital Transitions team. Now, what they're doing for us is amazing. They're giving away 27% off your first phase one rental when you mention Angry Millennial. 40% off Capture One styles using coupon code ANGRY40. 15% off Capture One Master's program using coupon ANGRY15. And 12% off Capture One Pro using coupon ANGRY12. Check out all of these discounts at digitaltransitions.com backslash angry.